Aw. Sorry, Banky. Father isn't here right now. Wait, where are you going? Welcome to the season finale of Six Degrees of Cats. Paka. Pusa. Koyangi. Gorbe. Nickel. Gato. Kitty. This podcast, in which I, Captain Kitty, or Amanda, if we're technical about it, investigate a question about cats that explores each degree of separation between human and feline kind with the help of a diversity of experts. We'll touch on genetics history, cognition, a bunch of philosophy, psychology, and marketing. Basically the same thing, if you ask me. On top of the stuff we already know, discuss, and probably love about cats. We have arrived, dear friends, to this season's final episode. My co-executive producers, who have forced me to sign a contract to update the show notes, naming them as such, and I, Captain Kitty, are all feeling very grateful and very exhausted given all the travel we've had from connection point to connection point across history, topics, and cultures. You could say it's been a trip. And hopefully it will continue. Before we dive into the episode, we wanted to send our deep gratitude to all of you listeners. Here's a message from Binky. And here's one from Snuggles. Did you catch all that? Season two will pick up in late fall, but please don't worry. We will be releasing mini episodes in which we'll revisit season one guest experts or update you on happenings at Six Degrees of Cats HQ. And if you haven't kept up with the Captain's Log, our Substack newsletter, we'll also be keeping that fresh. Yours truly has been doing this as a team of one. Ouch! Fine. A team of three. Independently, without sponsors. We'd love to grow, and that takes... So, if you want to see Six Degrees of Cats take off, please visit our show notes to see more about how you can do that. We'll be coming out with merch and are excited to keep the course on SS Six Degrees of Cats. Anyway, on to the episode. something very special, and they both know it. The dog is the man's best friend. He has a tail on one end. Up in front, he has teeth. And four legs underneath. Thanks, guys. That was a recitation of North American poet Ogden Nash's classic, An Introduction to Dogs. Here in the United States, at the time of this episode's release, we'll have just celebrated the second or maybe the third most popular greeting card bonanza, that is, Father's Day. I don't know about you, but a lot of the greeting cards for Father's Day, and for men in general, almost exclusively includes at least one of these things, bonus points for two or more. Golf, hunting, the outdoors, large maintenance vehicles, or dogs. But no cats. Or babies. Even though I kind of get it with the babies. Because cats are cuter than babies. That is a true fact. Back to the cats. Come on. 
I think it's time to interrogate that premise. Why are dogs man's best friend? Why not cats? I've thought a lot about this, and I think a strong case can be made that cats and men have a lot more in common than you'd think. Were it not for... Well, let's get into it. Many people would think that I was raised by a bunch of cat people. But in fact, my mom was cat agnostic. Her childhood pet was a beloved wiener dog called Heidi. And my dad's side of the family was the prototypical American dog family. We're talking generations of black Labrador retrievers who accompanied Captain Kitty's paternal great-grandfathers on hunts, greeted them upon their return from various military conflicts that the U.S. had gotten itself into during their time. The noble beasts that slept at their feet jumped all over them with joy and barked incessantly at the sight, sound, or smell of a foreign interloper at a volume ex exceeding 80 decibels. According to the CDC, noise at 80 decibels, and above, might start to damage your hearing. Where was I? Ah yes, my dad. Inconceivably, to me and most of you listeners, dad and cats were no bueno. (gasps) He seemed immune to their charms. He genuinely disliked them. But of course... He loved me. He allowed not one, but two cats, Ribbons and Tibbins, to invade his home, tear up his furniture, walk on his counters, relieve themselves in a box that he somehow got stuck monitoring, and all those pricey vet visits that, yes, he had to pay for. I won't say that dad ever came around to being a cat guy, nor would he have opted to adopt a cat without, well, my influence. But I think he did come to appreciate their quiet and affectionate presence, as well as the relative lack of mischief they got into in comparison to their stepbrother, Lightning. Our adorable but completely out-of-control yellow lab, whose maintenance and cost far exceeded both of the cats together, penny for penny. R.I.P. Lightning. My dad passed in 2014. I'd like to think he is still feeding ribbons, shooing away Tibbins, who somehow became quite attached to him, and chasing after lightning up there in the afterlife. When I remember my dad, I always think of a more reserved... I mentioned I was adopted, right? ...quiet, covertly humorous guy. He was tidy, considerate, calm. Of course, when pushed, you would know exactly what boundary you'd breached and learned how to avoid those moments. Dad didn't need to do a lot of exciting external activities to relax. He just liked being around his family, nature, good food. He wasn't a homebody per se, but he definitely was more on the introverted side. He really loved fishing and hunting. Hmm, those personality traits sure do sound familiar. Was my dad a cat? I mean, in one way, he already was a cat, as a Leo. Come to think of it, he sure had a lot in common with them. 
starting with hunting. I think this is going to help us as we continue investigating this man's best friend thing. As we heard in episode one from Dr. Melinda Zeter, cats descended from animals that are not pack animals, but happen to be darn good at hunting. Check this out. They're classified as solitary ambush predators. Ooh, let's hear that again. Solitary ambush predators. That is so metal. If I had a band, solitary ambush predators. That was our first guest expert. I'm Dr. Abigail Levin, and I'm an associate professor of philosophy at Niagara University in sunny western New York, uh, right across from the Canadian border. I teach animal ethics on a regular basis. Speaking of ethics, in this episode, we're not going to dive into the very important and thorny ethical issue about just how effective our little predators really are at hunting. But I will leave you with this note. Caring for community cats and trap neuter return is like an underrated ethical imperative. Because again, cats are solitary ambush predators. Solitary ambush predators are animals that lie in wait, often camouflaged by their environment. They surprise attack, aka ambush, their prey in a quick burst of speed and agility, or adorably, they pounce. As with fellow hissing ambush predators, snakes, cat pupils are narrow and vertically elongated. According to an article in Science Advances, vertically elongated pupils create astigmatic depth of field such that images of vertical contours nearer or farther than the distance to which the eye is focused are sharp. Whereas images of In other words, it helps them focus on what's in front of them to zero in on their moving target or something like that. She crouches, hidden by the savanna brush that blends into the colors of her fur. Patiently, she tracks her prey, waiting for the right moment. Her target steps into the clearing. And, suddenly... Ouch! Snuggles! That was my ankle! Anyone who's ever had a kitty in their domicile had to become an expert grave digger to provide a proper Christian burial or not for the unfortunate critters that came into their claws. My dad took the ecological impact of hunting pretty seriously, and so, of course, he was not happy with my cat's efficacy at hunting. You know, this is part of their nature. In fact, their close cousin, the black-footed cat in Africa, is the number one most effective predator in the whole animal kingdom. This little guy has a 60% kill rate. It's indisputable that cats are pretty much like the top hunter. So hunters, I think you found a new mascot. Alrighty, back to the man's best friend question. Listen, forget that malarkey that the word man means human. They said what they said. We're going to continue our deep dive into every part of that statement right after the break.
Before the break, we kind of went down memory lane with the prototypical dog guy, my dad, who surely ascribed to the belief that dogs are man's best friend. But I think he missed an opportunity to bond with two little hunting buddies purring right beside him all along. The question remains, what traits are cats lacking that DQ'd them from the man's best friend checklist? Actually, What even is on there? Educator and activist Tony Porter, who founded the U.S. anti-violence organization A Call to Men, has a pretty good summary of the traits that fall into what he refers to as the man box. Here are the traits in that box. Strong. Courageous. Dominating. No pain. No emotions except anger. No fear. Interesting. I think we have to speak a bit more about masculinity, which means we're going to quickly brief on gender. Now, this is a complex and nuanced topic, so for this, I'm really grateful to consult with a person who works hard to help folks connect across various identities, experiences, and cultures. My name is Gabe Garcia. I use they, them pronouns. I currently work as a diversity, equity, and inclusion analyst. You can find me on most all social media at Gabe F. Garcia. Overall, I try and really hold that through thread of diversity, equity, and inclusion, not only in my work, but also in my personal life. I've recently just joined the board of this fantastic organization called OKSO, which essentially is a tech platform to help folks of any age connect with an expert and get their questions answered about sex, sexuality, identity, relationships, and all of that under the sun. Gabe was kind enough to help break down the terminology we're using in this episode. There are two terms to clarify here, sex and gender. My understanding, and I would say that this is a pretty learned understanding, especially as someone who identifies as transgender and gender nonconforming, Sex is really referring to quote-unquote reproductive organs, talking about in very plain, simple terms, like does this person have a penis or does this person have a vagina? You're born, you come out of the womb, and the doctor's like, it's a boy, it's a girl. Or intersex people exist as well, so, you know, this child has ambiguous genitalia. So based on current research, sex includes three categories— male, female, or intersex. And those three are chosen by the clinical team who make that determination based on the presentation of the baby's genitalia. How about gender? Is that the same thing? Gender is a lot more complex. Gender has nothing to do with what's downstairs, so to say. Gender is how you feel and how you you know, express yourself and move through the world. The way that you really reflect and feel about your sex in your heart and inside of yourself. Cisgender means you identify with the sex that you were assigned at birth. So your gender identity and your sex are aligned. Transgender refers to anybody whose gender identity and sex are misaligned. And so in my case, My sex is male, but I don't identify as a man. I don't identify as male. 
it's historically proven, like, gender is a construct. Now we're getting somewhere. Gender is a construct. You might be familiar with that phrase. It simply means that, unlike sex, the category of gender isn't based on specific fixed criteria, but rather has been constructed and changes with the times. Have you noticed how people will tend to refer to dogs as he and cats as she? We have a daughter, I think I said. Yeah. Why can't I find gender neutral or boys cat clothes? And I'm like, I can't. All the cat clothes are pink. It's super gendering her. Two for one here. Cats and color. How did they become so gendered? Here's a quick aside about color. Up around World War II, pink was seen as a boy's color, the junior version of red, which is, or was, the ultimate masculine color of the day. Blue was for girls. These kinds of things change with the times. And cats don't care since they can't really discern red or pink from blues and greens anyway. So it's arbitrary then, right? After all, in addition to hunting, cats share a lot of those traits that Tony Porter named in the man box. Strong. Courageous. Dominating. No pain. Gabe concurs. They have a lot of typically quote-unquote masculine characteristics. As much as they love me, they are hecka defiant. Like, they will not do something if they do not want to do it. And I think that's definitely a trait that is really aligned with masculinity and this idea of men before all, right? Like, I get what I want, and if that doesn't work for you, then that's your problem. Overall, well, this man's best friend thing really has nothing to do with the animal's biological traits. It's us. All the values, traits, and stereotypes we've imposed on cats, certainly without their knowledge or consent. So, do cats even have a gender? I don't think that cats have gender because, lucky for them, don't get me wrong, cats are so smart. I don't think that their world is as complex as ours is. My cats have no concept of the fact that they're quote-unquote male cats. Hot take, I think cats are non-binary. I concur. Cats possess traits that we would classify as masculine or feminine, depending on the behavior. And it's not just the cats themselves that are highly gendered. Even loving on cats is a gender thing. Someone's like, want to see a picture of my cat? You're like, you're a freak. Get away from me. <laughs> but people will show you their puppy all day, right? But they can't, you can't pull out a cat at a bar. If a dude pulls out a cat picture at a bar, they're like, he's a creep. <laughs> Get away from that weirdo with three cats on his phone. What's this dude doing? That was comic Corey Rodriguez. The clip is actually from a bit he did called Cats Are Better Than Dogs. For the record, all animals are intrinsically wonderful and much better than humans. But yes, of course, my preference is cats. Anyway, back to Corey's observation. I don't know it was such a big deal with men and masculinity and cats until when I was posting stuff, a lot of guys that I knew would be like, man, why don't you get a dog? Why don't you get a dog? And I'm like, cause I like cats. I don't see why that matters. And then even to the point to where some young guys, I have to explain to them, you know, as far as the masculinity thing, the lion is the king of the jungle. 
Like, that's a cat. That's a big old cat. Why is that even looked at like a gender thing? You may recognize the voice of our wonderful returning guest expert. I am Sterling Trapking Davis out of Atlanta, Georgia. Let's refresh on what he does and why he's doing it. My nonprofit is Trapking Humane Cat Solutions, the 501c3 that I started about two years ago. I was actually on tour doing music, not even thinking about animal rescue, not even knowing about animal rescue. I love cats. I knew that. So in between tour, I was trying to find something to do. I saw on Craigslist, you can come scoop some cat litter. But when I came in and applied for the job, they were just blown away that a, a black man was liking cats like that. And they asked me to stay. They were like, we want to hire you. No disrespect. We just never seen a black man like, you know, somebody that looked like you handle cats like this. And I think it'll be beneficial if you stayed. And as I got into it, I was able to see like, wow, it's not just black men at all. It was a masculinity thing almost but with men and cats. This. This is the exact kind of rigid, gendered malarkey that keeps cats off of boys' baby clothes and Father's Day cards. It plays out in other, even more impactful contexts. It's similar when you think about the way that society reacts to, like, a dad taking their child out versus the way that they react to, like, a mother taking their child out. When a dad is seen pushing the stroller and holding up the baby, it's like, oh my God, what a good dad. Whereas when a mom is doing it, it's like, okay, yeah, that's her job, right? And so I think, especially when it comes to cat ownership, when men or, you know, male identifying people have cats, I think the societal view of it is that that is almost feminizing. It's so interesting when you think about the ways that it also parallels with just like being a parent when in reality it should really be equitable. Yeah. And that's also seriously insulting to the fathers who are equally active in their parenting roles. I'm talking both of human and feline wards. You know who took the call in our home when you cut your foot and had to go to the ER? or had to step out from a New Year's Eve celebration to take you to the ER because you had a sinus infection and strep throat? The only one in the house with the stomach to look at your injury, tell you to put a Band-Aid on it, and two hours later, take you to the ER? Good old dad. It was he who begrudgingly let Tibbins inside that stormy night. Famous last words, no more cats. It was also my dad who helped rehome Tibbins with my aunt. And lastly, it was my dad who received a panicked call from my aunt, left work, and brought Tibbins right back to us. And it was he, one Christmas Eve, who accompanied yours truly to the animal ER to say farewell to Ribbons in his 18th final year. Yeah. That man was a father to both his human and his fur-bearing, uh, children. There are so many fathers who have done that kind of stuff. So let's stop denying this beautiful side of fatherhood and masculinity. Let's break out of those boxes and think about those labels. Labels are good for finding community with others who also identify in similar ways. 
not good for fully defining your gender identity and your sex. Like I said, get rid of some of these stereotypes as far as the masculinity with, with, with men can't have cats and everything. Preach. These are strange times, folks. We have all this technology. We have all these resources. We all think we're so enlightened, and yet here we are living in a world where having a cat is still gendered. Why are we so rigid and committed to this? I say, may those of all identity feel free to have the pets, feel the feelings, and move in this world in ways that honor one's truest, kindest, best selves. This absolutely goes for all dads everywhere. Well, we sure have opened and unpacked quite a few boxes. Man box. Cat box. Actually, not that box. Here's where we're at. Kitties are non-binary, and masculinity has feline traits. Happy Father's Day. I hope every father in the world can experience the love of cats. We'll know we're making some progress when there are greeting cards with dudes in camouflage pushing a stroller with a cat in it. Come on, card companies. If you don't, I will. As I said, I am making merch. Thanks for sticking with me. I'd say we've gone at least six degrees within anything related to cats, and we're gonna keep on going. In the next season, oh yes, there'll be a next season, don't you worry. I have enough content for 50 million seasons, y'all. We'll be exploring Kitty's influence on music, further diving into various surprising transcultural patterns, and dive deeper into some of the mythologies we've explored in season one. So thank you, everybody. It's been a blast this season, and I'll see you on the other side. Of the season break, I mean. I'm not going anywhere, although I'm seriously working on that cat tour of the world. Join me. I'd like to thank my wonderful experts all season, and in this episode... Dr. Abigail Levin. Gabe Garcia. And... Sterling Trapking Davis. While the opinions are my own, the research and work is theirs. If you'd like to learn more about them, please check out our show notes, which also includes the references and research that went into this episode. If you loved this podcast, please help spread the word. Share it on your social media. We're now on YouTube as well. And write to your favorite influencer, congressperson, newsletter, local journalist, whomever, to recommend to them this humble podcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, please give us a five-star rating and a review with a shout-out to your kitties. The mini-sodes I mentioned at the top of this episode will begin in a couple weeks, but in the meantime, stay in the loop by signing up for The Captain's Log. On behalf of my co-executive producers Binky and Snuggles, we appreciate you. And remember, everything is connected. Six Degrees of Cats is produced, written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, Captain Kitty, a.k.a. Amanda B. Please subscribe to our mailing list by visiting tinyurl.com slash sixdegreesofcats or find us on all those social media platforms. And for my paid subscribers, 
you'll have access to the extra audio with more deep dives by our experts. This and all episodes are dedicated to the misunderstood, the marginalized, the resilient, and the weird. And, of course, all the cats we've loved and lost. Getting settled here. Watch out, Rick James. Sorry, my cat. Ah, I love that your cat's name is Rick James. Probably should have named him Elton John, though, because he's more so of a older guy that wants to stay to himself. Just be around me, maybe. <laughs> I should have gave him a different name. So hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>